turn in your Bibles to Acts, or Acts, man. Do it for two and a half years to have it. Uh, Matthew would be better today. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 9 through 18. And this is not my little way of playing with your heads, but it just works out this way, all right? So I apologize for making you sit down for two seconds, but let's stand up as we read Scripture. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for your faithfulness. Thanks for your power. I pray that you would work all of those things together in our hearts today that you would faithfully and powerfully speak to our hearts through your word and change us, God. Lord, awaken us. God, I pray if, if there's anyone who um, is not in a relationship with you today, God, that you would just help them to see how amazing you are, what a treasure you are, what a joy you are. God, be glorified through your word. Teach us to pray, Lord, even as the disciples asked you. Teach us to pray. Prayers that are genuine and faith-filled. We ask in your son's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We are uh, looking at um, what we sometimes refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Um, you, may, you may have heard it as that, the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's probably not a good title for it because uh, we talked about last week, Jesus prayed a lot of prayers. And this was just a, a time where he was teaching his disciples and us how we ought to pray or what we ought to pray like. And so this is a model prayer that he gives to us um, in, in, in teaching us what really our, how our prayers should be shaped and what should be the heart behind our prayers and, and how should we be approaching the God of the universe, the one who spoke and created everything. How should we approach this God? And so he's giving us uh, kind of a structure and a model of how to do that. We talked about part of it last week, and, and, and as we were talking about, we said that there are six petitions in this prayer. Uh, which may come as a surprise to us, because if you have prayed much in the last uh, years or months, uh, your prayers may have been like 275,000 petitions, and most of them, I want this, or I like this, or Lord, help me this way, right? Um, And so he's kind of given us a heart behind how should we really approach God. When we come before God, what should our petitions be? be like. And so uh, the first three we talked about last week and the first three uh, petitions all concern God. They don't concern the one who is praying. They concern God. And so the first petition we talked about is, is his name. 
Uh, when we approach him, our heavenly father, and we talked about uh, what that means. And, and we talked about the second petition, which is, is your kingdom, his kingdom come. And that mindset, that heart of God, I want your kingdom to be advanced. I want people to come to know you. I want people here and now to believe in you because you, you really are the greatest treasure. You really are the greatest thing that their minds and their hearts could ever comprehend. And so my prayer and my desire genuinely is your kingdom to advance. But not just that is I really want your eternal kingdom to come. I don't want to just be so satisfied here in this world. I don't want to be settled in. I really really want for your kingdom to come and for you to set up that perfect eternal kingdom that is so far better than, than what we have now. And so that's the second petition. The, the third one was his will and not our own. We talked about praying for God's will to uh, be working in our life and not just what we want or wish would happen and, and really learning to align ourselves as we pray, aligning ourselves with God's will, not trying to pull his will to ours. And there's the first three. And so today we're going to talk about the second three petitions as well as some other things. And we're going to pick it up at verse 11. The, third, uh, the fourth petition says this, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, if, if, uh, if you think back of, of when Jesus is talking about this, laborers in, in, in that time would labor for a day's wage. Uh, they would get a job and, and, and they would work that day for that day's wage. They didn't have a system where they would get paid once a month or every two weeks or possibly one week. They would work to earn for that day. And so what they earned that day was enough to pay for the food for that day. Uh, the earning of that day would pay for the food for that day. So this kind of a prayer in Jesus' culture makes a ton of sense. I mean, daily, they're dependent on God to provide for them the finances, the money to, pro to, to provide food, to put food on the table for that day. And so Jesus is teaching them and he says, um, when you pray, pray like this. Give us today, this day, our daily bread. Not praying for tomorrow, not praying for the next day, not praying for the week later, not praying for next month. But God, just today, would you just meet my needs today? But what do we do with that? I mean, for those of us who really have way too much food on the table every single meal. How do we come before God daily and say, God, would you please just provide me enough for today? Like, and we're reaching in the chip bag and we're thinking about as soon as I'm done, man, I want to hit the refrigerator and get a snack. And, and how do we do that? What is our, how do, how do we have this mindset and this thinking like we ought to? Because the, the, the heart behind what Jesus is saying is we, we have to, we need to, as followers of him, have to realize that we are dependent on God for our provisions every day. How do we have that mindset? How do we cultivate that mindset in us? And I think there's a couple things, but one of the things that, that we need to understand is, is as we're praying and as we're living and as we go through the day, every good gift that we have comes from God. Whether our refrigerator is full or empty, Whatever we have is from God. And so as I approach him, my mindset is, God, not just give me this day my daily bread, but thank you because whatever I have is from you. In fact, um, James 1 verse 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Do we think that way? 
As we go through our day, as we approach God in prayer, and hopefully, if you were here last week and, 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 and we're thinking through that, that understanding of, man, I'm approaching my heavenly Father, the one who cares for me, and, and, and at the same time, the one who is absolutely sovereign and in control of all things. I'm approaching this God who, who spoke and, and, and worlds came into existence. That as we approach Him that way, and as we approach Him desiring his kingdom to advance and his will to be done, not just our little petty stuff, but really approaching God as God. Man, I hope that's affected you and, and, and has shaped you and helped you some in your prayer time. But as you approach God and as you approach God day to day to day, are we really thinking, God, this is all from you? As I sit down at dinner, we, we get we're really bad about this. Um, and, and we memorize prayers for 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 meals, right? Um, we will, we'll, you know, whatever yours is, um, thanks for what is rubbed up, dub, thanks for the grub, you know, like that. Um, whatever it is, you know, God is great. God is good. This is one we did when we were a kid. God is great. God is good. Let's thank for food. Uh, by saints, we are fed. Uh, give us Lord. Deliver. I mean, it was that fast, something like that. Right. Um, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. Let's eat. Right. That's what we wanted to get to in the first place. Why we got to wait around just to say this chant. And, and that's really all. But honestly, genuinely, the heart of what Jesus is saying is, do we really, really realize that we are absolutely dependent on God for everything? And that if God removes his hand of blessing, we have nothing, nothing. That God is absolutely in control and sovereign and absolutely good. And if you have an abundance, it's because of him. And if you don't, he's still good. And we're dependent on him for daily needs. And are we coming before him and first of all saying, God, please, whatever it is, I need, whether, it's, whether it's bread or, or shelter or, or a job or what, whatever today's needs are, you know, God, wh- whether it's wisdom or discernment or whatever, Lord, today I need from you. I need today's blessing from you. I need today's provision from you. I'm helpless without you. I need you to provide for me today. And not just that, as I sit before whatever he's given, am I, am I really having this mindset of God? Every good thing comes from you. Every perfect thing comes from you, not from me. I couldn't do this. I couldn't have done this. It's from you, God. So thank you. First Corinthians four, seven, Paul says this. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? We do that by not giving thanks to God. We are boasting in ourselves as if we have accomplished something apart from him. When in reality, it all comes from him. All of our food, all of our everything that we need comes from him. Every good thing comes from him. And so Jesus says, as you pray, pray, God, give me, give us this day our daily bread. John MacArthur says this, to accept the Lord's provision for the present day without concern for our needs or welfare tomorrow is a testimony of our contentment in his goodness and faithfulness. As as followers of Christ, if we are truly, truly content with what God has done and what he has given us, then we we will be content in just saying, God, Today, it's all I need. Today's. They're playing ball tag over there today. So no, it's no big deal. All right. Teachers against the kids. Okay. 
Don't worry. He's probably fine. It goes on in the passage. Um, Give us this day our daily bread. And it says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, This doesn't mean that as a follower of Christ, I'm coming before God every day asking for justification, to be justified, to be made right in the sight of God. It's not that at all. Uh, The Bible clearly tells us that when we come into this relationship with Christ, we are justified. In in fact, a couple of verses on that. They're important. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you jump down a few verses to verse nine, it says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Romans eight, verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. We have been justified through Christ's blood. That's what uh, Romans 5, 9 is saying. Because of the blood of Christ, because of his payment, nothing that I could do to earn favor from God, but simply this, Christ took God's punishment on himself so that I might be forgiven because I can't do anything that would make me righteous or good enough to be in the presence of God. I can't do that. I needed Christ. And so my justification happened in the past if I have become a follower of Christ. That's already happened. So Jesus isn't saying, come before God every day and say, please save me, please save me, please save me. He's not saying that. He's, he's talking about that, that fellowship that gets broken from God. And we're seeking that forgiveness because our fellowship with God is broken when we continue in this pattern of sin. Uh, Ephesians tells us to not grieve the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is grieved when we do things that offend God. And that that fellowship with God that, that Christ bought on the cross, that fellowship that we can have through Christ is broken then. And so daily, daily we need to be coming before God and saying, God, please forgive me. But he doesn't just say that, does he? Jesus doesn't just say, and Lord, please forgive me. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive me my sins as I also have forgiven those who have who sinned against me. That's a tough prayer. Is that how we pray? I mean, I think most of us, probably all of us who would say we have a relationship with Christ, when we sin, we'll feel convicted about that. And so we come before God and maybe in the morning or in the daily at night or whatever, you'll come before God just in general, even as David prayed and say, God, please just forgive me, cleanse me, make me right with you. I want to have fellowship with you. But do we pray this? God, would you? Would you forgive me today of my sins the way that I forgave everyone else their sins? That's what Jesus is saying. Forgive us our debts in the same way we forgive our debtors. He he goes on um, more than that. If if you look down at verses 14 and 15, we're going to skip 13 for a minute. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And here's the picture. Here's what we, we're getting from this, okay? Those people who have received the forgiveness of God and, and, and our sin and our offense to God is greater than we will ever comprehend. Uh, how much we've offended God, we'll, we'll never comprehend on this earth here. Because God is perfectly holy beyond anything that we can imagine. Scripture tells us he's, he alone is immortal. And so he's perfectly holy and holy. And there's no way that we could comprehend how much we have offended him by sinning against him. And yet through Christ, he says, forgiven. You're forgiven. And then what we tend to do is we drive down the road or or we'll be in a conversation with our friend or or have some other relationship, and someone will say something or do something to offend us. And it snaps. And we're just angry. And we're bitter. And it's like, it's over. There's nothing that person could do or say that could make this right. And Jesus, how could that be? If you have received so much forgiveness from me, how can you not show so much less even forgiveness for such little offenses to other people? And what he's saying is that those of us who have received that kind of forgiveness ought to be and will be so moved with gratitude toward God that we will eagerly forgive those who are debtors to us. I mean, if we really comprehend, if we really stop and think how much we've been forgiven, we will gladly, gladly forgive because we understand that our debt towards God was so great and he just, he forgave us through Christ. And so even as a picture of his grace, then, then we carry that grace and we, we show it and give it to others. An unforgiving spirit is a strong witness, guys, a strong witness that we have not felt the effects of forgiveness. If we are not willing to forgive, then we have to examine our hearts and see, have we really received this forgiveness and the gladness that that brings? I came across this prayer by uh, St. Francis of Assisi. It says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not seek, or may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. I think that that's the heart of what Jesus is teaching us here. That just as he says that, that we will be forgiven as we forgive and that is, don't get that backwards, okay? Don't, don't think then that, our, that God's grace is contingent on our grace. No. 
It's a picture. Our grace is just a picture of what God has already done. And, and, and we're just a reflection, as we've talked about through this Sermon on the Mount, we're just a reflection of what God's done in our heart. And so God graciously offers us mercy and His love and grace. But when He does that and He changes our heart, then we gladly give that grace. Remember we talked about um, earlier in chapter 5, we talked about in verses... Uh, 23 and 24 says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift, leave your gift there before the altar and go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Don't even come and pretend to worship me. God says, if you know that there is an offense, there's a broken relationship. If someone has something against you, don't even come and pretend to worship me. Get up and go and make it right. Be reconciled and then come and offer your gift, worship. But make that right. Make that, that relationship right. And some of us, as, as we go into this, this Christmas season, um, you're pretending and there's relationships. And, and as you think through and we celebrate Christmas, right? We celebrate Christmas, which is this, this, this picture in this time where we, we, we think about how Christ stepped through eternity and into this world and, and came down and gave his life so that we might be reconciled to God. And we, we celebrate that and we sing joy to the world and, and all these songs and we go and, and, and get irritated at the mall and we do all these things in light of Christmas, right? And all underneath all of it is, is Christ. We're doing this to celebrate Christ and yet in the midst of it, are you being a picture of Christ stepping through and, and, and offering reconciliation to God. Some of you now in this season, as you're celebrating what he's doing to, to, to allow you to be reconciled to him, need to step across some lines and, and make reconciliation with those that you know you've offended. You know they have something against you and that relationship's broken and you haven't been willing to forgive. Jesus says, pray this, God, Forgive me as I forgive those who have sinned against me. It's, it's hard to pray that prayer if we're not willing to obey Christ and seek reconciliation and forgiveness. Verse 13, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The ESV study Bible says this, the meaning here most likely carries the sense, allow us to be spared from difficult circumstances that would tempt us to sin. Lord, keep us from those situations, keep us from those circumstances that you know will tempt me to sin. Help, go before me, walk with me, keep me from those things. Keep me from those circumstances. Keep me from those situations. Lead us not into temptation. Matthew 26, 41 says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Are you, as you approach God, are you not just trusting him for, for physical needs? Like he says, give us this day our daily bread. Not just trusting him for physical needs, but understanding I need you for my spiritual needs daily. I need you to, to come and help daily with what I, I need spiritually. So, so God, please keep me from temptation today. Don't lead me into temptation, God. This is a prayer that, that we pray in faith, not in naiveness. 
Jesus doesn't teach us this so that we, we get up in the morning and we pray, God, keep me from temptation. And now if I am tempted, it's your fault. That's not why he tells us to pray that. Jesus tells us in John 16, 33, that I, I've spoken these things to you so that in me you'll have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. In, in Matthew 18, um, Jesus says in Matthew 18, 7, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. Now listen, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. It's necessary. It's going to happen. And, and, and that temptation is a testing ground, a proving ground for, for my faith and my trust. And do I really treasure Jesus more than I want this thing? Do I really treasure him? Do I really love him? And so that's a, it's a testing. And Jesus says it's necessary that temptation comes. And John 16, says, um, tribulation is going to come. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. That's what the rest of 16, John 16.33 says. I, I tell you these things because in the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Take heart because I've overcome the world. And you have me. So we pray that lead us not into temptation, but we understand that there's going to be temptation. And so like Jesus tells us in John and what James tells us in James 1, 2, we count it all joy. We take heart. We, we know that God is able, that Christ is able to walk us through it and to keep us through it. In fact, um, I think it's Jude. It says this. Listen to this verse, okay? Because temptation is going to come. Trial is going to come. We ask Jesus, God, please don't lead me into temptation today. Keep me from it. But listen to what it says in Jude verse 24. Now to him, talking about God, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Yeah, I mean, temptation's going to come. It's going to happen. But we have this advocate. We have Christ who is able to keep us from stumbling, for, to keep us from falling and to present us to him blameless. We have that in Christ. And so when temptation comes, we do what Jesus says. We take heart because we have him and he's overcome the world. There's so much um, that we still have to learn about prayer, right? I feel that way. I, I don't know if you feel that way. There's a lot more. This is not it. Um, we don't get to do a two-part sermon on prayer from Matthew chapter 6 and say, your prayers now. Congratulations. We'll give you a certificate and now you're able to pray and that's not the way it works, right? And if you're if you pray and even if you if you if you seek God even even as you approach him in a way that honors him and sets him apart as God, you know. And and I, I feel this. Lord teach me to pray. I want to know how to pray. I want to have that fellowship with you. And that that we don't get that just from two sermons. We get that from spending time with God. We get that from praying and praying like this, coming before God the way Christ calls us to, coming before God to seek his will, not our own. And so we have a lot to learn, but, but we're going to learn that as we pray and as we come before God in this attitude, not in this selfish mindset, but in this attitude that he sets out for us here and ask him to help us to be genuine and constant in prayer. 
We're so often just careless in our prayer. If we have two minutes here, or, or if we remember, oh, I got a test, um, and they're passing out the test, on, Lord, please help me on this test, and you know I didn't study God, but please just help me. Would you just not lead me into temptation? And you know I'm going to be really mad if I do bad on this test, so just help me, God, save me from this. That's ridiculous, but that's so often that's what we do, right? And it's just like God is like that little genie in a bottle. And every time I need him, I just just rub on the bottle. And God, would you do this for me? And that's totally opposite of what Jesus teaches us here. God is God. And prayer is us aligning ourselves with his will, not trying to get him to be this magical genie for us, but that we would be aligned with him. And so we're going to learn to pray as we seek him in that more and more and are, are devoted to him in that more and more. But it goes on. I just want to look at these next couple of verses. And because fasting is so tied in with prayer, um, verses 16 through 18, it says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly. I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, what is fasting? Okay. Um, Fasting is this, it's, it's giving up something, food most of the time, but it's giving up something for a purpose. Uh, as I come before God, I'm giving something up to deny that part of me that I might seek God, hopefully better through this time. It's self-denial so that I can seek God and focus on God. And one of the best um, definitions really in explaining of what, what we do when we fast is, um, if I fast for a day or two days or longer, whatever it is, what, what my mind is, is I'm going to get hungry. You know that, right? If you choose to fast, if you fasted, you're going to get hungry. Like it's not this like magical thing that you say, I'm going to fast. And God says, good, I'm going to take away your hunger pains for the next however long. And this will just be a nice, no, you get hungry. That's what happens when you skip meals, right? But, but the heart behind it is this, when I feel those hunger pains, that it's that moment that I engage in prayer and I say, God, I want you more than I want food right now. And it's just that reminder of God, I need you. I need you way more than I need physical sustenance. And so even as, as my, my stomach is reminding me and even painfully sometimes reminding me, God, I want you more than I want food. And so it's that picture of just denying ourselves in, in that area or one area for Christ that we would desire and, and spend time with Christ rather than filling ourselves with something else. In the Old Testament, there were, there were um, set up times that they would fast. They were supposed to fast at certain times. And what, would ha- what happened was, just like with so many other things, the Pharisees would fast at those times, or, or the hypocrites would fast at those times, but then they would add extra times. And fast this day, too. I'm going to fast this day. And, but the purpose behind it, what Jesus is saying, is just like with other things where he says about prayer, don't pray so that people will hear you. Don't fast so that people will see you. What happened is, kind of talking in our language, that they would choose to fast. I'm going to fast this week. And then Wednesday, they're coming in, they're like, oh, oh, what's up? You got a tummy ache? No, I'm just fasting for God. I'm just, I'm giving myself to God. I know I'm so righteous and I'm just, I'm just a holy person and I'm fasting for God and I, I'm just doing this for God. And it wasn't for God, right? 
And Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. They look gloomy and they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. Their whole heart and purpose is, I want people to think I'm righteous. I want think, people to think that I have this connection with God. Jesus says, don't do that. If you're going to fast, then do it secretly. If, if you've made this commitment between you and God that you're going to give something up so that you might spend time in prayer more and more devotedly in prayer, then don't tell anyone. Don't do it so that you'll be seen by other people. Do it in secret and your, your father who sees in secret will notice and he'll reward you. But don't do it for the reward. Do it for him. Do it for Christ that your purpose would be, God, I just want to know you. I want, I want you to be set apart as the only sovereign, holy God in my life. I don't want any idols. I want you. And so if you choose to do that, then don't walk around holding your stomach and just telling everybody, yeah, you know, I can't go out with you guys. I can't have fun with you guys because I'm fasting. I can't have any fun because that's, you know, I've made this decision. But, you know, pray for me because I'm fasting. Don't do that. It's just between you and God. And Jesus says, just do it in secret. What he says is when you fast, act normally. So that people don't notice. Now, if you're married, then he's not telling you, hey, don't tell your wife. I mean, you're not going to come home if you decide to fast through dinner. And then she's made this elaborate meal and you're like, "Mm -mm." right. I can't tell you why. But I'm. I'm not eating that, right? Don't do that. I mean, you can tell your wife. The heart behind it is you don't tell people so that they think that you're righteous. You do it to honor God. And it's not in the telling. It's in the heart behind it. And so when you fast, do it in secret to God and do it purposefully that you might know him, that you might give up something to to be with him. Let me ask you to ask yourself this. Who am I trying to please by my religious practices, including fasting, prayer, whatever it is? Who am I trying to please? When I pray, who am I trying to please? If I fast, who am I trying to please? If I come in and lift my hands, if I come in and clap, if I come in and sing loud, who am I trying to please? Am I trying to please the people around me? Or am I trying to please the Lord? My heart is that we be a people, people that genuinely seek God, whether it's through prayer, fasting, worship, whatever it is. It's just, I'm not doing this for other people to see. I love you, God. I want you. I want you to be my treasure. I want you to be my everything. And so I'm doing this for you, God, not to be noticed by others, for you. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thanks for your word, Lord. And thanks for your power and your spirit that enables us. Without you, this would not make sense and it would certainly be impossible. We would do everything to get attention from people. But God, my prayer is that you'd fill us and help us that we would know you. God, that we would know you. That if there's anyone here that is just going through motions, Lord, just, just like you lay out in this, it's just, it's just hypocritical. They know what they're supposed to do, Lord. And so 
They do it to be seen by others, to make them think that they're okay with you. God, would you move and work? Would you give faith where faith is needed? Would you convict and work in hearts that you might be glorified and we might decrease, as John says? I pray that our desires and our heart would be you, not attention from others, that we would genuinely seek you and that you would lavish grace on us as you have through Christ, Lord. So we praise you, we thank you, pray that you would move and work even as we sing in response to your goodness, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen.